Uh, I play a tough physical game. Try and protect my teammates as much as I can. Clear the front of the net, play good defense, and make a good first pass so we can uh, get into the offensive part of our game. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk, proud member of RR Productions. At least I think so. Haven't really spoken to Ranting Ron lately, but uh, haven't received a pink slip in the locker yet. So, uh, so I think, yeah. Although, you know, I'm not putting out episodes really, so who the hell knows. But anyway, welcome to episode 106. Now, I know what you're thinking. Episode 105 was my swan song, basically saying goodbye and thanking everybody. But I did say there might be an episode here or there, and I guess it's here or there today. So uh, so today I am bringing you episode 106. Now, this episode actually is happening because I had finished the research on this episode um, about a week or so before uh, my breaking point, where I got sick of dealing with trying to get guests for the show and I've been sitting on this now for a little bit and I hate wasting the research I guess it would make me a hypocrite in a way because my one of my major complaints with getting guests is that when I a guest would say they would do the show and then I go and do the research and then they either ghost me or they uh, uh, yeah we could do it here we could do it there and it was just whatever and I had done all the research um, well, here I had done the research for a solo episode, and now what am I going to do? Sit on the uh, sit on the research? And no, I, I don't want to do that. So, um, so, and I had actually posted a graphic for this episode, but I removed it really quick. And um, I had a few people ask me about it, and I said, "Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it." And uh, so originally this was episode 105, and um, now it's episode. 106. So for today's episode 106, it's my top 10 Eric Cairns New York Islanders fights. Uh, this is strictly my list. You may have a different list, which is fantastic. Always love to hear people's opinions. Um, chances are, if you're an Islanders fan, I would imagine our number one is the same. I, I don't 
I can't imagine there's too many people that are going to have a different number one than me. And, and I'd even go so far as to say our top two is probably the same as well. But you never know. You never know. Uh, just as there are people out there who like the Fisherman logo, uh, the contrarians, as I call them, um, maybe for other people, uh, my number one is not necessarily a slam dunk. So um, after you listen to this episode, if you'd like to make your own list, I'd love to see it. And uh, because that's what it's all about. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, hear different opinions. So um, but as usual, before we get started, please, if you are on Twitter and you'd like to follow the account for the show, it's at Kali Sinbin pod and my personal Twitter account at Joe underscore Luzito. And an interesting phenomenon has happened lately on my personal Twitter account. Um, I've grown weary of New York City and its soft stance on crime and punishment and accountability. So what I do now every day is I go uh, on the New York Post Twitter and um, I I choose their articles about crime in New York and uh, violent crime especially. And I tag their shitty mayor and the shitty DA and I say safest big city in America. I also put other things in there for certain stories. But I notice now lately I've been getting a lot of unfollows and hey, that's no problem at all. Um, It was fun knowing you and uh, whatever, it's fine. Um, What I will say to those people who've unfollowed me, um, if you don't like it, uh, put yourself in my shoes and... um, then maybe uh, maybe we can have the discussion, but but I understand a lot of times I'm I'm retweeting. It's New York City, so there are times where it's uh, six, seven, eight in a row. So it might be uh, sensory overload for some people, but uh, it's just the uh, the enormity of how New York City is so criminal friendly now, and how they're so afraid to hurt criminals' feelings uh, at the expense of the safety of the law-abiding citizens. But I digress. Um, like I said, at Joe underscore Luzito for my personal Twitter account, you know, check it out. And then you probably will follow me anyway. I don't know, but, uh, but that's cool. Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and Instagram Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Now, again, you may be wondering, well, if there's really not going to be a show, uh, is there really any reason to follow those accounts? And I think that's an excellent question. Well, I would say what probably got you to follow them in the, in the uh, beginning was the content of the show, which was Islander Enforcers. And those accounts are still going to be Islander Enforcer centric. They're going to be similar to what they've always been. So um, the only thing that won't be there are, you know, the show graphics. And, and again, there may be a show here or there. If, uh, if I get the, uh, the itch to put out a show, then you'll see those, but sure. Why not still follow them? You want to know when the birthdays are and, and things like that. So yeah, of course you want to, you want to give them a follow. How can you live without it? Um, as always, Joe Marisich, the local Long Island artist who designed my logo, uh, Joe is an artistic genius, and if you have any art projects you need done, please get in touch with Joe Marisich at the Graphics Joker on Twitter or at LoudEgg.com. Joe is amazing. He's an amazing human being, and he's an amazing artist. Very easy to work with, and uh, you'd actually be foolish not to contact him if you have an art project, so I'll just leave that there. Uh, a couple of other podcasts, The Usual Suspects. 
Uh, fourth line voice, my pal Darren up in Saskatoon or the uh, suburbs of Saskatoon. It's July 4th today. I wonder how many inches of snow they're getting up there. <laughs> just <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, Darren, uh, the fourth line voice podcast, the original gangster of the enforcer podcast genre. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Two episodes a week. You know, I kind of packed it in. Uh, Alec Coden Salen, he puts out an episode when he can. Darren, he's like Old Man River. And uh, two episodes a week, two episodes a week. That's what that means. His latest episode is the Sunday Shit Show, which he released yesterday. I started listening to it today. Uh, I'm only I'm only about five minutes in, uh, but those are always gold. I, I love hearing it. And uh, but his latest interview, which he released last Wednesday, uh, was with former Bridgeport Sound Tiger Mike Scroy. And um, Mike is uh, a very good interview. Uh, you know, some guys are better than others, and Mike is very personable. Um, he's in that. Trevor Gillies, uh, Jeremy Yablonski sort of clan where they're all really good interviews. They're really good personalities. And um, so, and, and Mike's done a share of interviews. This may have been the best one uh, that he's done uh, pretty much. Uh, he probably could have gone for another, another hour or so uh, with Darren, but I, uh, I strongly encourage you to, uh, to check out Mike Scroy on the fourth line voice. And of course you have to check out the Sunday shit show. And, Darren has his fourth line voice YouTube channel for how much longer, who knows, uh, YouTube, they're trying to curb down on violence. Yes, of course, with all the stuff that's on YouTube, that's violent. They're worried about hockey violence, but, uh, but as of today, the fourth line voice YouTube channel is still going strong. I know at one point he was around 2,700 fights. I don't know what it is now because I know some of them had to be removed. Pardon me one second. So definitely check out and subscribe to the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Because after all, if you've ever watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel anyway. The Five for Fighting podcast with the aforementioned Alec Coden Salen, proud member of Six Pack Coverage. His latest episode was with Nico Blatchman. And I think it's Blatchman. I've heard it say Blackman and Blatchman. Uh, And I think Alex says Blatchman, so I'll say it that way. Uh, That was part two. And uh, Alec and Nico have developed a friendship. Alec was all over the uh, the East Coast League this year. Uh, Really broke it down, really followed it. uh, Became pretty tight with some of the players down there. And and it shows in these interviews that he's doing now. They have a real good camaraderie. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's... (laughs) I mean, it's been a while since Alex put out an episode. So when I listened to this, it was a it was a week or so or two weeks ago, whenever he put it out. So uh, I know Alec um, Alec had a work issue the other day. He didn't get wood delivered or something. I can't remember what it was, but um, I'm sure he'll have an episode out soon. But um, especially, listen, the way fighting in hockey is now. I mean, it's it's only a matter of time. But the East Coast League was the one league who actually delivered this year. And uh, and Alec is sort of like the the czar of the East Coast League. So uh, so I would definitely check out the Five for Fighting podcast. Also, this is very important. Alec has a YouTube channel as well, Five for Fighting YouTube channel. And all the fights that he talks about, all the East Coast League fights that he talks about, they're on his channel. 
And uh, and it would be great if Alec could get a, a, a thousand subscribers. I think once you have a thousand, you could start to monetize it. I think that's what Darren said. So um, stuff like that is very important to people who create stuff. And uh, you're enjoying the fights anyway. Hit the subscribe button. And um, you know what do the these dorky new age people say? Punch that subscribe button. Slam that subscribe button. Ring that bell. Just so awful it's just so bad it's it's so embarrassing but when you go to youtube you're going to see a thing that says subscribe and when you're on the fight for fighting uh youtube channel hit that subscribe thing please just press it click it he gets a thousand subscribers he could start making a little money off it so do that please so uh so yeah come on what are you watching him anyway do the guy a favor so today as i mentioned i think i mentioned it it's july 4th so um, what that means is uh, it's the start of the new week. And uh, for my pals up in Canada, Canada Day was a couple of days ago. Uh, happy belated Canada Day to all my friends up in Canada and uh, my friend, my Canadian friends all over the world. Uh, and happy Independence Day to, uh, to all my American brothers and sisters. And I, you know what I decided? I think for this Independence Day, what we would all like is to be independent from all those celebrities who for the past six or seven years have threatened to leave this country. And you know what I think? I think the latest one is that the singer from um, uh, Green Day, who sounds British anyway. Like it was I mean, that again. Listen, and I get it. He's got more money than I'll ever know. But I was always kind of embarrassed for him that he always tried to sing with the British accent when actual British people, when they sing, you don't hear the accent. I was always kind of embarrassed for him with that, but uh, he's the latest one that uh, that has said he's uh, he's denounced his uh, citizenship, and uh, you know. So for all those people, all those celebrities who have said over the last six, seven years they're leaving America, well, please, how about doing the rest of us a favor and let us be independent from your stupid asses? So uh, that's my wish for this Independence Day. And other than that, um, happy Independence Day and happy Canada Day to all my pals. Congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche. God, it seems like it was about a month ago. Uh, the Avs won the Stanley Cup. And um, I want to congratulate the Byron family. Now, um, you know, Bowen, he's a, he's a member of the Avalanche. And, out, and you probably have seen the video already where the police stopped him from joining the parade because they thought he was just a fan, but he's, he's just a kid. Um, so that was actually pretty humorous when, uh, when they, you have the rest of the fans going, he's a player, he's a player. And, and I thought that was pretty humorous, but um, Sean was actually um, a guest. His dad, Sean Byram was a guest on the show uh, way back. Episode 18, Sean is another one, you know, uh, what is, I guess, Bill Walsh in football. Um, if you look and you, they, they do this thing where, uh, Bill Walsh tree, uh, all these NFL coaches that came from the Bill Walsh regimes, I guess with San Francisco. And it's this giant tree of all these coaches that went on to success or, or well, certain levels of success in the NFL. Sean Byram, if we were going to do the same thing for me, it would be Dean Ewan, 
uh, my friendship with Dean Ewan has spawned off these friendships with people that he's played with uh, going back to Capital District. And Sean is one of those guys who I was fortunate enough to meet through Dean. And uh, like I said, Sean was a guest, uh, an episode 18 guest. He's a great guy, uh, married a terrific lady, Stacy. She's amazing. Um, I don't want to say the daughter's name. I know they have a daughter and they have the son, Bowen, which which you know. Um, but they're. I'm not going to say the daughter's I don't know if they want that out there. I mean, she's. I think she's under 18. Uh, but, well, you know, their daughter. So congratulations to the a whole Byron family. Uh, for this, because um, if you know anything about hockey, you know it really is a sport that is a family um, activity in the sense where Sean, Stacy, you know, they're driving Bowen early in the morning. You know, the, the kids have tournaments um, from the time they're first on skates. It's a family endeavor. I think that's the uh, that's the word I was looking for. So. Uh, whenever you see the guy holding up the Stanley Cup, uh, there are parents and family members behind that. There are coaches behind that. Uh, but it really starts with the parents. And uh, for Sean and Stacy, uh, congratulations, because this is as much yours as, as it is Bowen's. And uh, I'm just pretty happy that, that Sean is getting a little bit of, of press, you know, being Bowen's dad, because, uh, you know... The, the social media and media in general is a lot bigger now than it was back in the day. And, uh, and Sean did play in the NHL. I uh, played in the Islanders organization, I think three years. So um, it, it's just nice to see him getting a little press. And I know Sean doesn't care about that. And, and, and he wants all the attention to go on Bo, but uh, for someone like myself, it's great to see Sean getting a little attention. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Let me get a, a sip before I go on this rant. Hold on. All right. So, something else that has happened since I last joined you. And actually, this will be the last thing before we get to the countdown. Did you catch E60, the Unrivaled special, the Avalanche and the Red Wings? Um, so, I want to get this out of the way right away. Um. Detroit, Colorado was uh, an intense rivalry, uh, an amazing rivalry, but it was a short-term rivalry. Uh, came in like a lion, went out like a lamb. I think even in the special, it says that at a certain point, they played a game where there wasn't a single penalty called. Um, sort of like, I don't know, like a summer romance that is just intense, and then it's gone. This was a great, great rivalry. But compared to other rivalries, and this is my opinion, nobody else's, this rivalry is nowhere close, not even in the same universe as the Islander-Ranger rivalry used to be, as the Montreal Canadiens-Quebec-Nordiques rivalry was, or as the Oilers and Flames rivalry used to be. And, and I honestly think you can make an argument that the Montreal-Boston rivalry was better than this. Or go back in the day when we didn't have to change the names of the divisions because, oh, the fans, they're, 
they don't know who who Norris is or Patrick or Smite. They don't know who these people are. Let's just call it East and West. It makes it easier. That's what they do in the NBA. Um, go back to the old Chuck Norris division and pick any two teams because that whole division was a rivalry. And, you know, you could say Chicago, Detroit, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, all these teams. They hated each other. Minnesota, Chicago. Um, those were intense rivalries, too. And they they were a lot longer than Detroit and Colorado. So I'm not shitting on the rivalry at all. I'm not. It, it, I mean, listen, it was a great rivalry. Notice with all the rivalries that are still in existence, Detroit, Colorado, Islanders, Rangers, uh, Montreal, Boston, Edmonton, Calgary. I'm using the past tense. That's because there's no more rivalries. But that rivalry was great. But if you watch this uh, program and the and the leading up to it, uh, all the Facebook posts and everything like that, you would think this is the greatest rivalry, not just in hockey, but in sports. But there's a reason for that. Now, we all know, if you're a hockey fan for any length of time, you all know ESPN does not give a rat's ass about hockey. Um, what little coverage they give it, they gave even less coverage when they didn't have the hockey contract, but now they have the hockey contract again, along with TNT, but ESPN, I guess it's a Disney thing. So they're woke. And as evidenced by the majority of the broadcast broadcast crew that they've assembled, ESPN was more interested in checking boxes than quality and boy, did it show. Okay, but ESPN does not care about hockey. But like I said, they have the contract now. They have an NHL contract now, so they'll do some things with with hockey now. So now coinciding with the 25th anniversary of the birth of that rivalry. It's a little coincidental that all of a sudden ESPN wants to do this show because I'm pretty sure without (coughs) with that, excuse me. Without the NHL contract, I'm not so sure ESPN puts out unrivaled Detroit, Colorado. Of course, there probably is some LeBron James thing they could put out with that time. Uh, maybe, um, you know, an NBA documentary about how one of the superstars is unhappy and wants to go to a team that already has two superstars because he doesn't have time to maybe build a team or he's not good enough to make other players better. So maybe they could do a documentary on that. Uh, Maybe they could do a WNBA documentary that maybe four people might watch. I mean, maybe they could do all this stuff about basketball. But not hockey. But they'll do hockey now because they have the contract. Right? Okay. Now, another reason why this is good TV is because if you remember back when this rivalry was actually a thing, a lot of those games... Do you remember the network they were on? ESPN. So ESPN owns all the rights to this stuff. So it's easy. It's already in their vault. It's very convenient. Now, I watched it. I watched it the first day it was available. I watched it on ESPN Plus, which has extra extra footage, maybe 20 minutes or so, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, because if you watch it on, on TV, it has commercials. It's two hours with commercials. And if you watch it on ESPN Plus, it's around two hours, eight minutes 
without commercials. It's amazing. And and again, I, I always have to qualify this because just because I think the network is shit, the, the show was was brilliant and I encourage all of you to watch it. Um I really don't want to take anything away from it. And and for people that appreciate physical hockey, it's definitely a must watch thing. But I think ESPN is so full of shit, it just behooves someone like myself to point out these things. Because like I said, they're not doing this if they don't have the contract. And they're not doing this if they didn't have all those games broadcast back then. And one of the things that uh, I, I was curious about, and I didn't follow through it, through on it, but I know it received a ton of accolades. People loved it, as they should. And I, I wanted to check if folks like Kenny Campbell and Damian Cox and Adam Proto and and the the tool that is that runs the hockey portion of the athletic, you know, the fraud who when he does a story doesn't do all the research or if he does he leaves out important parts and then when you call him out on it, he blocks you. Oh, I'm going to block you because you you're calling me out on something that was pretty obvious. I can't remember his name. Uh, he's just he he's basically another Ken Campbell, another Damian Cox, another Adam Proto. He's he loves the soft hockey and violence be damned. And I was wondering if those guys were so upset at the attention that this show was getting because it's violence. It's glorifying violence. And I wondered if they were sitting there on their sofa with their cats and if they were holding their soy milk and if the soy milk was being diluted with their tears as they cried out, no, every time they showed a crowd shot and every single person in the crowd was on their feet cheering because the fans like the violence in the sport just because they don't. But guys like this, they preach and they spew their nonsense and the new age fans just lap it up. And now, and it's been this way now for a while, to appease this vocal minority on social media led by fools like this, you get the hockey we have today, which is another reason why a special, a show like that was so well received because people are thirsty for that. And I wonder... In his office, wherever it is, probably in Ontario, David Branch, the head of the CHL, which, by the way, I found out last week because William Dufour was a finalist for an award. The David Branch Player of the Year Award. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? This guy named an award after himself. Can you fucking believe that? Well, he's the czar of the soft hockey because it all starts with him. He's the feeder to the pros. This guy runs the CHL, and he's been anti-fighting for decades. But now there's a David Branch Player of the Year award. And now, obviously, William Dufour is not under prospect. I want nothing but the best for him. But he didn't win the David Branch Player of the Year award, and I'm so fucking happy that he didn't. I don't want that asshole's name attached to William Dufour in any way, shape, or form. But these are the people, the David Branches and the writers that I mentioned, that probably sit back and watch this special and just cry and just whine. And and, and, and that lady, that uh, Quebec premier, whatever her name is, that basically held the Quebec League hostage 
with their they, she wanted a fight rule like all these people they must have been so upset that people loved this e60 uh not e yeah e60 uh, so much because there is a thirst now. What they did was they took away something that people liked, and now you put out a special like this, and people are just going to eat it up. And these anti-fight jackasses, oh, they must be dying inside. A part of me died when I watched it. Oh, goodness gracious me, what am I ever going to do? Oh, where's my fan? Let me fan myself. Oh, I have the vapors. Um, yeah, just listen. I will say the one thing that, that I did forget about, um, and it's not, listen, there's no spoiler alerts. This thing has been happening for 25 years. I think we all kind of default to Lemieux on Draper as the start of this rivalry when it really wasn't. It really was Kozlov on Adam Foote. And that really gets lost in all of in the whole thing until you see this. And Adam Foote actually talks about that's what started everything. This cheap hit by Kozlov slamming Foot's face right into the partition. It wasn't the seamless glass, so you had the metal partitions. And that is really where it began. Fucking Kozlov started this. And then you get Lemieux. I mean, it's... And then it goes from there. Um, but I, I give Lemieux credit for sitting up on the stage with Darren McCarty. Um, it, it was great. It was a great job, but again, let's uh, let's pump the brakes on it being the greatest rivalry. And uh, you know, for someone like myself, this this rivalry doesn't hold a candle to the ones that I mentioned. So that's me on my soapbox. I'm the old man yelling at the cloud, sticking up for old time hockey, as I am wont to do. So now, let's get to the big man here, Eric Cairns. Uh, what do you say about Eric Cairns? I love this man. And uh, he's in, if you listen to the top 10, you know that he's in my top five. And you know he's one of the people that I said you can make an argument is the toughest player that has ever played for this organization. I've said all this stuff before. So please uh, go back and listen to uh, to my top 10 episode. I, uh, Eric is a big part in that. Uh, I also did a, a seasons episode, uh, Eric Cairns season uh, let me see what season was that. Let me scroll here. That was uh, 2001, 02. Uh, so some of these fights will be, uh, I'll be rehashing from that episode. So if you listen to that episode, some of this stuff will be uh, stuff that you've heard already. But uh, but this is, I, I went through, um, I went through all of Eric Cairns Islanders fights. This is my top 10 uh, of his fights with the Islanders. Again, Islanders only. Islanders only here. Um, just uh, some notes. So Eric Cairns played 327 games with the Islanders. Uh, nine goals. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that he had nine goals with the Islanders, right? Nine goals, 27 assists, 36 points, 814 penalty minutes. One thing that has changed since my season's episode, he was passed in penalty minutes by Matt Martin. So he now ranks ninth on the all-time franchise list in penalty minutes. But it should be noted that of everyone in the top nine, he's played the least amount of games. He's He only played 327 games. Uh, he's the only player on the list with less than 500 games. He's actually the only player on the list with less, let's just say, 330 games. Um, 
The next lowest total of games on the list of the top nine are Mick Vakoda and Rich Pilon, who both played 509 games. So uh, to me, that's saying something. 814 PIMS in 327 games. And Eric ranks seventh all-time in fighting majors with 59. So um, what I wanted to do with this episode is before I talk about the fight, I wanted to put uh, an audio clip of the fight as a lead-in, and then I was going to talk about it. But uh, because I, even that, uh, even though I've been doing this for a while, I'm still a techie noob, and um, there were a few fights I couldn't get the audio to transfer over. So um, most of the fights will have the audio of the fight before what I have to say. But if you, if there's something other than that, then that means I just couldn't get it to work, and my lack of patience and understanding of uh, tech and all there is to it. Uh, I just put in another clip. So um, without further ado, let's get to the 10th most, the 10th most, my number 10, Eric Cairns fight with the Islanders. Number 10 is a fight that happened on April 2nd, 2000. And it's Eric Cairns rematch with Matt Johnson. This fight took place in Atlanta. Um, So the fight wasn't much. If you go on YouTube and look up the fight, it's on there. Not much of a fight at all. Uh, Johnson may have landed a punch. Nothing really of note. But the reason why this fight is my number 10 fight is because of their first fight. Now, I believe they only had one fight in junior. And again, I could be wrong. There's only a record of one fight. Uh, so, and believe it or not, I, I can't believe I've, I've never asked Eric if, uh, if they fought again in junior. But... Matt Johnson was uh, was this young, tough guy for the Peterborough Peets, and I've heard many different accounts, one of which was from Mike Brophy, who used to write for the Hockey News, but before that he covered uh, Peterborough, and he told me about this fight that Matt Johnson and Cairns had, uh, and apparently it did not go Eric's way at all. It was, uh, it was a real, really decisive win for Matt, and uh, apparently it was really bloody, and um, it was a it was a big win for Matt and and not a great fight for Eric. And the reason why I put this rematch at number ten is because if you know anything about the enforcer role, I think people just look you know you look at them and they're big and they're strong and they're intimidating guys. But the fact is the role is it might be more psychological than it is physical and. For Eric to sustain a loss and, and a beating from what I've been told, again, I've never seen the fight, uh, but a loss so severe at that age, that has to do something to a person. Now, um, I'm going to say lesser guys may have retired or lesser guys may not have fought after that. And and people will say, well, that's being critical. And I, I don't really mean it to criticize other people. I really mean it to talk about Eric's intestinal fortitude. The fact that after a fight like that, um, he continued his journey to the NHL with fighting being one of the tools that he used. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, listen, if, if we're talking real life, um, you know, you see victims of abuse and, and I'm not comparing this before people 
you know, but even, you know, like you, you see the dog that's been hit and the dog, it's never the same and people that are abused and they're never the same. Well, obviously that's real life, but in, in the hockey enforcer realm, some guys never come back from a loss like that. And even uh, Mark LaForge in that um, Tough Guys documentary, he talked about the beating he took from Darren Kimball and how far that set him back. And even though he was a young player at the time, he wasn't a teenager like Eric was uh, during this fight with Matt Johnson. So I guess my point is uh, this had to be something that Eric had to work through, uh, the work through at the time. But to be honest, it's something that if a person never gets over, it's completely understandable. But not only did Eric work through it at the time, he continued his OHL career, he got drafted, he went pro, played in the American League, eventually made made himself into an NHL player, had an amazing NHL career. And one of the reasons why I want to interview Eric at some point is to talk about, about this uh, Matt Johnson fight in junior and, and the effect that it may have had on him. Uh I think there's a lot to be said for guys that get beat physically and then just come back right there in the same game. And I think if we're talking NHL, we're talking about grown men. And and I, I don't think it can be stressed enough that this first fight that Eric had with Matt Johnson, he was a teenager. And, um, you know, for him to, like I say, power through it and come back, I would imagine the first time that, and this may have been the first time they played against each other. I don't know if they, uh, if they played against each other while Eric was with the Rangers and Matt was with LA. I, I don't know that. And it's probably something I should have looked up, but I'd be curious to know if there were some butterflies. Now at this point, Eric's an Islander. He's firmly established in the league as one of the top heavyweights. He doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody. He's fought everybody there has been to fight. But on the other side of the ice is the guy that maybe gave him his worst loss ever. And and I always wonder about the psychology of the role. Is that something that he had to overcome even that night, even the day before, thinking about, hey, I'm, we're going into Atlanta. They have Matt Johnson. Um, I'm sure he remembers that fight from junior. So um, when you get the guys, like I mentioned earlier in the intro, the, the anti-fighting guys, um, you know, that just – portray these guys as one-dimensional robots that just go out there and their one one mission is to destroy i think it really does a disservice to them because there's so much more to this role and there's so much more to it psychologically and mentally that that they'll ever give credit for and i think for me putting this fight at number 10 although when you watch the fight visually it wasn't really much of anything um i think the journey that eric got to to drop the gloves with Matt Johnson. Again, it was years later. Um, I think this is a, it's a pretty big deal. Now I could have taken any number of his fights with the Islanders that were much more impressive uh, and put that there, but I, I felt like it was important to, to acknowledge the fact that uh, this role is not just a physical role. It's not just dropping the gloves and trying to kill the guy on the other side. It, it's it's the preparation, the mental preparation that goes into it. And I think Eric going into this fight, uh, going into the game and taking on Matt Johnson, I think is a big deal. So that's why this fight is number 10 on my list. Tedarinko wants to go with Cairns. Here's a couple of tough customers here. And Tedarinko has picked up one of the true heavyweight bruisers in the NHL here. 
Now watch him go now. He's just waiting his time. You can just see Tedarenko kind of get set up, and you're right. Karras can throw both, both arms, and has got longer arms. And uh, probably gets the decision in this one here over Tedarenko, but it doesn't diminish the size of the heart of Joey Tedarenko. They'll get five each for fighting. No damage done. Panther. To the blue line, Ferentz. Cross ice for Ward. He flicks one wide. And it comes to Lindgren on left wing, but Joey Tenerenko, number 36. Eric Cairns and the Islanders get into it. Cairns throwing right hands. Tenerenko trying to hold him off. And Tenerenko missed there. Cairns trying to sneak a right uppercut in. And he landed a right hand to the side of the face. Clear win. Decision, Eric Cairns. Is because he's had some problems with that before. Well, you know, when you look at this, without without question, the, the decision goes to Eric Cairns. From the negative side of the Islander standpoint, that's a defenseman now that sits out for at least five minutes. And you have to hope that somebody else doesn't get hurt. So you saw him shaking his hand a little bit. He did connect with a couple of big rights on Joey Tedarenko. And remember, Tedarenko's a tough kid. He's a tough kid, but he earlier this year, he got hit by Thomas Klocek. And it's right here in front of the net where all this gets going. And was out with a concussion. And Tedarenko wanted to fight. He wanted to fight. And Karen says, okay, fine. They both were ready. Both landed quite a few punches. Tedarenko seems to be okay now in the penalty box. Eric Karen seems to be in a little bit of pain. Well, the hand has been almost a chronic situation for Cairns over the last couple of years. What kept him out of the last five games was an oblique muscle, which is along the side of the body. And that seemed fine. He didn't. He seemed to be able to get through that. Number nine is a fight that took place on December 15, 2001, at Nassau Coliseum against former Western leaguer Joey Tedarenko of the Florida Panthers. So this started, it was a battle in front of the Islanders' net, and it turns into a full-scale fight as the boys drop the mitts and get going. The camera catches the action as Cairns has a hold of Tedarenko by the collar, and he's throwing a right. Joey counters with a right that doesn't reach. Cairns throws another right. Cairns throws a couple of uppercuts, and one appears to land. Tedarenko fires back with four right hands, but again, they all miss the mark. Uh, Tedarenko's a big dude, but as you'll see in a lot of these fights... Uh, Karens has the reach on almost everybody in these fights, so it's very difficult. Tedarenko, definitely tough guy, definitely game. Uh, but like I said, those four right hands missed, uh, missed the mark. Karens throws four rights. The last one uh, puts Joey down. So um, full marks, Joe Tedarenko, tough, tough Western leaguer. Uh, doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody. But in this particular fight, uh, definitely overmatched. But, you know, it, there's a lot to be said for a guy like Joe trying to make uh, make an impression. You go after the big dogs, and that's certainly what he did here, um, even if he came out on the short end of the stick. But full marks to Joey Tedarenko. Now here's Cairns wanting to get it Ray. And Ray says, all right, let's get it on. Eric Cairns and Rob Ray want to do their thing. They're in the ring at center ice. Cairns, of course, much bigger than Ray. Ray trying to make some punches and what he does. Oh, and then Cairns to 
Number eight is another rematch. This time, March 12th, 2002, at Buffalo against all-time Sabres tough guy Rob Ray. So this is a rematch of a fight that happened when Eric was with the Rangers, and um, Ray called him in that fight, and there's actually a picture of it where I think uh, I, where I think Ray connected right on the button. This is a rematch. It's I believe they only fought twice. This is the second one. This fight begins as a scrum starts in front of the Buffalo bench. And luckily for us fans, you know, it's funny. I, I always say this stuff. Um, I, I always say this to the to the guys. I loved it, but I was the one watching from the stands or I was the one watching, you know, from the TV. So uh, it's easy for me to say. But lucky for us fa- fans, Karens and Ray find each other and they separate from the pack. They drop the gloves, remove the elbow pads and get down the business. Karen's grabs Ray to initiate, and they just go punch for punch. Ray is more active in the beginning, and while most of his punches are hitting Karen's in the arm and shoulder, he does land a shot that knocks Eric's helmet off. Karen's is throwing the more telling shots, though, the final two of which put Ray down. Now, while the officials are getting in, Karen's throws the left, which is a bit out of character for him. It's something else I'd love to ask him about. And I know he has nothing personal with Ray. We, I've talked about Rob Ray with him. It's, he has nothing personal uh, with him. I don't know. Now, we didn't talk about this fight specifically. Um, but like I said, that, that left was a bit out of character. Uh, I don't know if something happened earlier in the game or if it had something to do with the uh, first fight when Karens was a ranger. Uh, either way, Rob, Rob was pretty pissed. Uh, he was pretty incensed, and he tried to land a few of his own over the linesman, uh, but is unsuccessful. So um, that was a big win for Eric. Uh, definitely got his comeuppance from their earlier fight when Eric was a ranger. It's important for a team to have a physical player. If not, the other team is going to take liberties against some of your smaller, more skilled players. Guys like me can go out and get a little bit of a spark sometimes and also protect those guys so they can score goals and uh, win games. That brings us to number seven. This happened on December 19th, 2002, and this is the third installment of Eric Cairns versus Matt Johnson. Obviously, if this is on my list, Eric is still an Islander. Uh, Matt Johnson has moved on to Minnesota at this point. So uh, after a brief square off, they grab hold of each other and both guys wisely keep the other at arm's length. I mean, you have two of the best in the league right now. Both know the damage the other one can do. So they're pretty wary at the beginning, keeping each other at arm's length. It's it's really most of this fight was both guys throwing some wild haymaker rights. Really not many landing or if they do, they didn't do much damage. But the fight ends with Cairns throwing a big left that puts Matt Johnson down. By the way, I'm always going to pump the tires of these guys at the time Matt Johnson was wearing the captaincy during this fight. So to me, it's just a progression uh, of the, the Cairns Matt Johnson thing where you had um, the, the fight in junior, which I discussed already. Then you had the fight in Atlanta, which, which was uh, the first fight after that junior fight. And now you have the third fight and this fight, Eric, Eric definitely gets gets the W in. So it's sort of the progression from junior. And um, again, if, if you know me personally, you know that I love Matt Johnson. It's really sad uh, what's happened to him since he's retired. I, I really, I still say I would love to uh, reach out to him. Who knows if he'd even remember me. I know he's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, who knows? I, I don't know. But, uh, but 
you know, as far as Eric is concerned, this was uh, this was the third fight of the trilogy, uh, and I would say it was a, a one, one, and one if you're going by wins and losses. Uh, but again, it was Eric got better with each of the fights, and, and this fight was a definite win uh, for the big man in blue, orange, and white. Well, you can't show a hockey highlight without a fight. Even in preseason, the Flyers' Francis Lassard going up against Eric Karens, the Islander tough guy. Both players getting in some good punches, but Lassard would get the worst of this altercation, suffering a broken jaw. Flyers go on to win their preseason opener. By Sports made Number six takes us to Trenton, New Jersey. This is an exhibition game that happened on September 14th, 2000. Uh, Islanders versus Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, this was the Trenton Titans home arena. At the time, they were the East Coast Hockey League affiliate for both the Islanders and the Flyers. So it made sense to bring an exhibition game to Trenton. And this was a busy day uh, for Eric Cairns. Um, had two fights that day against two pretty tough guys. Uh, this fight that we're going to talk about now was against Francis Lassard, Frankie Lassard, who, if you listen to, to my program and you listen to the fourth line voice and you listen to five for fighting, Frankie Lassard is a name that comes up a lot. And especially if you listen to my Trevor Gilly series, uh, you know how Trevor feels about Frankie Lassard. And if you haven't go back and listen to it, uh, Francis Lassard is sort of a lightning rod for a lot of his opponents doesn't necessarily toe the line and uh, doesn't mind going over that line. And and I think the big thing with uh, Francis Lassard, as far as his opponents are concerned, everyone acknowledges how tough he is. He doesn't really need to do all that stuff. But this is about Eric Karens versus Francis Lassard. And this fight was an absolute Donnybrook. Both guys throw wild punches and both are connecting. At one point, Karens gets a grip on Lassard. Lassard keeps throwing. I mean, I say this about the guy. Lassard, he's he's as tough as they come. And and if he wanted to, I don't, like to say be honest, but not to do the underhanded stuff, like he still could have been one of the toughest guys. You know, I mean, really, uh, very, very tough guy. And Lassard keeps throwing. Cairns gets this grip and Lassard keeps throwing. Cairns just keeps teeing off and landing these monster shots. Um <laughs> Once the linesman got in to break it up, Frankie threw a cheapie at the end, but no damage was done. Uh, the end result of the fight, Francis Lassard ends up with a broken jaw. Uh, not to be outdone, Eric also fought Steve McLaren, and, and I say it, if you know me, you know how much, I, how much I think of Steve McLaren. I always say I was fortunate enough to watch the majority of Steve's career, uh, probably all of Steve's career, uh, in Philadelphia with the Phantom, Phantoms, and uh, he was unbelievable. So that game, Cairns took on both of, uh, at that time, I don't even know who, who was up with the Flyers. Uh, it might have been the Fedoric days or something like that, and, and Fedoric may have been one of those up-and-down guys too. But taking on Francis Lassard and Steve McLaren, no easy task. Um, Cairns, he did that in that game. And like I said, the end result of that fight with Francis Lassard was Francis going off for repairs, and uh, coming up with a broken jaw. Threw it all the way down, but now Cairns squaring off with Fedoric. Eric Cairns and Todd Fedoric. And neither has thrown a punch yet. They just wanted to get ready. The bell has rung, and they both go big. Cairns went down, Fedoric with a right. Cairns answers with one of his own. 
And now they try to get an arm free. The Doric threw an overhand right. Cairns trying to return fire. And Eric Cairns with a tug on Fedoric's jersey. Lands with a big right hand, but Fedoric lands on top of Cairns. And again, the linesman Jean Moran, Stephen Provo, intercede. Well, Eric Cairns might have caught that first punch. I think he did. That sent him down, but he was back on his feet right away. He didn't want the linesman jumping in to break it up. And the two fourth lines on the ice against one another. And Eric Cairns and Todd Fedora, two big tough guys. Look out. It's Fedora and Eric Cairns, main event, as they size each other up. And away they go, and Fedora landed a blow right off the bat and buckled Cairns before he could even get the momentum, and he's back up. Cairns tried to get the first punch in, but then he lost his balance. He seems like he's still shaken up from that initial blow, which was right on the button. Second heavyweight tilt of the night here in Philly. This year, Wayne Fleming, the assistant coach for the Philadelphia Flyers, told me that they like his progression. He's 6'2", 235 pounds. Played in the Western Hockey League. Wayne Fleming, a former national coach for Canada. Earlier tonight, we had Brashear going with Eric Goddard. There's... The gentleman you were just referring to. And now it's Fedoric and Cairn. There's Brashear, who's recovered from his first period tilt. It happened in the opening moments of this hockey game. And you don't think these two teams are fighting for the two points on the table tonight? It's been a tough game this evening. And Fedoric is leaving. Seasons in the orange and black before going to Edmonton. Came an Islander last year at the trade deadline. That's Eric Goddard who just cleared it all the way down and wave off late. And now the fight. Eric Cairns and Todd Fedoric squaring off. Eric Cairns is huge. Fedoric certainly not a small guy either. Oh, left lead by Fedoric and down went the big guy. And they let him get back up and they'll continue. That was like a big redwood going down there, but Cairns getting credit. Might have battled back. Fedoric, another left. Now the helmet comes off from Fedoric as Terrence tries to leverage with that right hand. Fedoric goes underneath. He's trying to tackle Terrence, and he just does just that. And they both follow the ice. That first shot by Fedoric, though, got in there. That's a long fall to the ice for Terrence, and you're six foot five. That's a big advantage. He did catch it. Fedoric caught him the first time with that first shot. But that's a tough thing to fight a guy that's got that kind of wingspan because he can get you out and then keep you out to be able to come back with a shot himself. Gangly guy there, Dorney. Yeah. You know, it, sometimes there's talk in the National Hockey League, good fighters pick their spots. Well, you can't say that Fedoric is picking his spots against a, a six-foot-five guy. 
My hat's off to the linesman to let them go. That's right, too. Why do you want to drop? Watch it. Here it comes. Wait. Anytime now? Give Cairns credit, he got back up and continued to slug. He's 6'6", 230 pounds, Cairns. So he had that big reach advantage that Coach mentioned because Fedoric is only in well, a 6'2 range. It's tough. I mean, it's really tough. But the linesman let them go. And you know what? Those two guys, one's at 6'6", like you mentioned, 240. The other guy's 6'2", 240. I think there's better things than to try to break two guys up that are really mad at each other. Fedoric going off the ice to the flyer. Locker room. We've now entered the rarefied air of the top five. Uh, and I just mentioned this guy. This fight took place in Philadelphia on November 11, 2003. Todd Fedoric, Fridge. Fridge has been in some wars, man. I tell you, he, he really is a really, really tough guy. Flyers at the time, no shortage of young tough guys in the organization. Two guys I just mentioned, Fedoric. Uh, so in this fight, the boys square off, and Fedoric lands the first punch. Lands the left that puts Cairns down. Place went nuts. Play, I was there. Place went crazy. Um, Jim Jackson went crazy. Coatsy went crazy. Um, and I, they, Cairns gets back to the feet, and they each throw a punch, and they each miss. At a certain point, you see Cairns gets a really good grip on Fridge, and he lands a right to Fedoric that jars his helmet loose. Cairns, take, uh, Cairns takes it off completely. Cairns then lands three more rights before Fedoric tackles him to the ice. Um, a common theme with uh, a lot of Eric's fights. Uh, damage done to the other guy. Uh, Fedoric ends up with a broken orbital bone in this one. Um, you know, what do you say? I mean, if you ever have you ever shaken Eric's hand, it's like a cinder block. Uh, well, first of all, his hand is like a blanket and then when he makes a fist it's like a cinder block so um the fact that you have the um lassard broken jaw this one you have the fedoric uh orbital bone um this is no surprise this is really uh the prime eric cairns uh at one point when i had my very first website on uh, aol hometown where i would used to i used to put my uh my print interviews before there were there was well there was always audio but I was too stupid to figure it out. Um, I had a photo gallery and I called uh, Eric Cairns the distributor of pain and um, it, it's because of fights like this. Uh, you know, ton of respect for Todd Fedoric. Uh, definitely uh, did what he could in this fight, but just overmatched and like I said, those those right hands are going to hurt anybody. So uh, once again. Big win for Eric Cairns with a lot of damage done. What up to him? But Scott and Cairns, now they were yapping in the pregame, were they not? And it comes to fruition with Cairns throwing rights. Eric Cairns has connected several times. Scott returning fire, but Cairns has landed a couple. Eric Cairns continues to fall. Down goes Scott. Scott looks like he wants more, but the linesman take care of that. This crowd. Well, Scott came chasing after him. Scott looks to be a little woozy right now. He took a couple of early rights and he was able to withstand it and then landed some of his own. And then Cairns with a few more towards the end knocked him down. But Scott looked like Scott had his gloves off at the blue line chasing Eric Cairns into the Islander zone.
Number four took place on December 4th, 2003. Now, there's a lot of heat with Eric and the Rangers by this point. Um, you know, we'll get into some of that a little bit later. Uh, but on this night, it was Richard Scott that wanted to try his hand with the big man. And this one actually started in the warm-ups. They had words in the warm-ups. Um, nothing materialized, thankfully, in the warm-up. They both would have got thrown out, suspended. Uh, but they, uh, I think they uh, arranged the appointment back in the warm-up. So uh, this one started, uh, This this uh, once the game started, this particular play, the play was headed from the Rangers zone into the Islanders zone. And it was obvious this fight was going to happen if you isolate the camera, which they did on, on Scott and Cairns. Once Scott crossed the blue line, he and Cairns were locked on one another. Scott drops the gloves. Cairns drops the gloves. They come together with Cairns throwing some big rights. Scott throws some big lefts. Do me a favor. When when I'm done talking about this fight, when you're done listen to, listening to this episode, go back and watch some Richard Scott fights. You may not know too much about him unless you're uh, a hockey fight nerd. Uh, Richard Scott's a tough guy. Really, really tough guy. Like a lot of guys on this countdown, though, he was just overmatched. Um, these guys, uh, you know, for these guys, when like I said, when they come together, Karen's is throwing some big rights. Scott's throwing lefts. Both guys' buckets come off early. Both guys land some good rights. Karen's lands the harder and more frequent ones, puts Richard Scott down. Uh, you see Scott gets up and he needs assistance from the linesman to keep his balance. Uh, definite concussion issue here. And unfortunately, this would be the final game of Richard Scott's career. Uh, this fight ended his career. And I think that Cairns and Richard were are friends or were friends at the time. They may have played together. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but th this is part of the problem when you have to fight guys that you respect. So, you know, this is Richard Scott's last game. Uh, you know, last game of his career, the two fights previous, you got uh, broken bones in the face. It's just, it's a hazard of the role. And um, just as I mentioned with, with Eric in the fight with Matt Johnson back in the OHL on that one, he took it. And then these last few, he's given it to the guys. And um, this really, like I said, it goes back to that, that fight. I, I keep bringing it back to the Matt Johnson fight where, you suffer a loss like that and certain guys are going to go one way. Certain guys are going to go another way. And, and that way is the way that Eric went. And um, like I said, he definite top 10 guy during his tenure, tenure with the Islanders. Some might argue myself included top five. And I, I you know, maybe the, the, you know, do you give him the belt for a couple of these years? Maybe, maybe I can't say yes or no, because at this point, um, I wasn't keeping track of every, I was watching everyone's fights, but it wasn't like I did when I was doing the tough guys magazines where I was actually keeping track and would, would kind of go over everyone's fights and, and make notes. Um, I don't think Eric really concerned himself with where people would rank him. I think he was more concerned with winning games. And if he, he battled someone, be it a Richard Scott, be it a Fedoric or even an exhibition game of Frankie Lassard or Matt Johnson, uh, if his fight meant something and it helped lead to a victory, that's all he's really, that's all he's really concerned with. That was the biggest thing for him was helping his team win games. And um, going back to this fight with Richard Scott, uh, unfortunate for Richard that, uh, that it ended, it ended his career. Uh, but this was another big win for Eric Cairns. And uh, like I said, uh, unfortunate for his opponent that there was some serious damage done.
Stephen oh, cover up. And Stephen Pete will drop the gloves with Eric yeah, Cairns. Right at the blue line. You knew Cairns was going to get out there. He's one of the leaders when it comes to pins. He's so tough to fight because he's so darn tall. And now Pete Jackson with the left. Oh! oh. Got him in trouble. Yep, One does. more might send the big guy down. A little smile, doesn't he? Look at Petey with a little smile. Always does. Yep. A decided reach advantage, and now, whoa, Cairns makes him pay. Late. Yeah, that was a good bout all around. Cairns trying to set something going here for this Islander team. Real trouble that caps have them reeling. Well, it's been a jackhammer first for Washington in the goal scoring department. Up three. You know, as I'm, I'm doing this countdown, and I know when I did the notes for this, and now as I'm, I'm going over these notes, you just look at some of these names from the time, and, and they just, these guys just keep getting bigger and tougher. And it's just what a, what a time it was to be a fan with, with the way the league was, you know, during the. 70s, 80s, 90s, the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> you know, like like number three here. We got um, December 2nd, 2003, Nassau Coliseum. Uh, Eric Cairns takes on big Stephen Pete, another former Western leaguer, uh, playing with Washington. Away from the play and up at the Caps blue line, Cairns and Pete square off. Right off the hop, Cairns land six or seven shots, but all land on Pete's helmet. I wonder. I'd be interested to know because uh, Cairns throws pretty hard. I'd be in, I, obviously the helmet absorbs some of those blows, but uh, but you got to feel those. I would think after a while, no. Uh, Pete gives up the grip uh, of his left hand, and then it's rock 'em sock 'em robots with Pete throwing the left and Cairns throwing the rights. They pause for a second or two and ponder their strategies mid-fight. Cairns lands a nice right, and they both start exchanging rights while Cairns gets the front of Pete's jerseys over his head and puts Pete down with an overhand right, an uppercut, and a final overhand right. Um, Pete is a guy who did not have a long NHL career, um, had some uh, concussion issues, I believe. But again, if you're not that familiar with Stephen Pete, please go back on YouTube and just watch how tough this guy really was. So Stephen Pete, and if you're strictly an Islander fan or you don't know, if you're too young to know that name, go back and watch just what kind of destruction Stephen Pete himself would do to guys to make you understand that this win by Eric is as impress impressive, easy for me to say, as I'm making it sound. So number three, Eric Cairns over Stephen Pete of the Washington Capitals. I just do what I got to do out there. I want to win, you know, do whatever it takes. And now we are down to my top two Eric Cairns all-time Islander fights. Now, if you listen to my episode, my 2001-02 Eric Cairns season and review episode, a lot of what I'm about to say uh, you've heard already, but for those of you who haven't, uh, my number two Eric Cairns fight took place on December 21st, 2001. And this was uh, it, it, under the bright lights in the big city, Madison Square Garden against Sandy McCarthy. Now, this game was set up back on November 8th. The backstory is this. Eric Cairns had stitches in his hand and was instructed not to fight. Sandy McCarthy and Cairns collide along the boards and McCarthy challenges Cairns. 
The two have a discussion, and I'm guessing this is where Cairns tells McCarthy that he can't fight because of the stitches in his hand. The play continues up the ice, and McCarthy ends up scoring a goal off a Steve McKenna rebound, and Cairns gives him a little glove shot to the mush. McCarthy goes down like he was shot with a cannon, but gets right back up. After the cross-check, Steve McKenna drops the gloves, grabs Cairns, and starts throwing. Cairns still has his glove on, his both gloves on, as again he was instructed not to fight. Nothing of consequence lands, and Cairns tackles McKenna to the ice. With Cairns in the box, this is where the, this is the stuff that you've seen. Um, with Theo Fleury, this is where Theo Fleury involves himself in the situation. He starts yelling at Cairns, you're a fucking chicken, you're a fucking chicken, and flapping his arms in the chicken motion. And on the bench, Sandy McCarthy starts making the yapping motion with his hands, flexes his bicep at Cairns. Total um, histrionics here by the Rangers, by McCarthy, by by um, Fleury. Really, I remember at the time really being surprised because I, I didn't, again, and I said this, I think, in that episode that I did on the season for Cairns, I saw every well, most every televised Sandy McCarthy fight with the teams he had before the Rangers, and I never remember him acting like this. And Theo, um, and and Theo has has um, overcome a lot of problems, and I don't know what state of mind he was in during this game, but Theo Fleury is a guy who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's a great player. Uh, this act that he pulled, I just. I, at the time, I'm thinking this is really out of character for these guys. Um, as the penalties were assessed, McCarthy was on his uh, was on the bench, skated to the box. He did more of a subdued chicken motion towards Cairns, who was already in the box. Just really, you know, like I uh, I don't know, like showing up, Cairns. You know, everybody who's done this job has had injuries where they couldn't fight and. Where I I would expect it maybe from a flurry, someone who hasn't done the job. Really, the McCarthy stuff really shocked me. Um, after the game, uh, an interview, Fleury said, uh, my five-year-old son hits harder than Eric Cairns does. I know that for sure. He's throwing muffins out there. Well, I'm sure Francis Lassard and Todd Fedoric, Richard Scott, I think those guys may disagree, amongst other players, but just because they were just in the countdown. And again, um, I'm really impressed with what Theo has done with himself since, um, you know, in the last few years. But at this point, he, he was just an absolute asshole. And I, I make no bones about it. I would say it to his face, the way he acted during these, these games, just just a tool. And I like Theo Fleury, but this stuff was all uncalled for, especially for a guy who was never going to have to answer the bell with Cairns. It was never going to happen. Um the incident even made its way to uh, Coach's Corner. Remember Coach's Corner? It used to be the thing they put on in Hockey Night in Canada after the first period, and the entire country would watch. And now they have this abomination where Kevin Bieksa must sit there every week and go, what the hell did I get myself into? You got Jen Botterill rolling her eyes at every single thing. I mean, give me a break. Um, but, yeah, so back when people actually watched the first intermission, of Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Don Cherry even discussed this with Ron McLean, the snake. Um, and um, Ron asked Don if he saw what Sandy McCarthy, Theo Fleury did with Eric Cairns. 
And uh, Grape said, and and everyone thinks the bunch of jerks thing started with the Hurricanes. It didn't. Grape said, and I quote, what a bunch of jerks. Not Cairns, but I mean Flurry. Really? I'm surprised at this guy and McCarthy too. I don't want to show it. I'm not showing guys using the chickens and all that because it shows the kids. Anybody that does that, they should put a law in the league. Any of that stuff, two-minute minor right off the bat. This is really WWF junk as far as I'm concerned. No more of that stuff. So it's not just me that was really put off by that stuff and really taken aback. You expect it from certain people. You just really didn't expect it from McCarthy and Fleury. And and I'm in good company, apparently, because Don really didn't expect it either. And um, so, I, you know, I think anyone, aside from Rangers fans, uh, really was probably kind of taken aback by the whole thing. Um, so the game that we're talking about now uh, brought a lot of anticipation from both fan bases. Uh, it was the first time the teams had met since the events of that game that I just discussed at the Coliseum. And I will give MSG Network credit. They did a great job. Uh, they interviewed Cairns and McCarthy. They interviewed the main players, and they spliced the clips. Uh, so it wasn't like they did a two-minute interview with Cairns, then a two-minute interview with McCarthy, and you had to figure out uh, Karen's was talking about when McCarthy said this and McCarthy was talking about when Karen said this, they kind of did it, uh, one after the other, and they did a really good job, uh, presented it in sort of a point counterpoint style. Um, and again, McCarthy had this real air of arrogance about him and it really, like I said, I, I keep saying it, but it really took me by surprise. I really, you know, McCarthy's one of the best that's ever done the job and he didn't have to be like this. He's very smug. Uh, Cairns was more stoic, uh, and to be honest with you, kind of intense, a very focused, uh, I don't really see Cairns with this sort of demeanor a lot. And, uh, over the years when I have, it pretty much was, it was all business. So they started with Cairns and he said, what I think is it was a pretty intense game and things happen in the heat of battle and they chose to act that way. And it's going to be a good game tonight. It's for first place, and we're really excited about the Battle of New York. McCarthy was asked about Karen's refusal to fight due to his hand. He answered smugly, Well, I mean, do you hurt your hand when you fight in this league? Sometimes you hit helmets. Maybe it's a coincidence that every time we play against him, he's got a sore hand, but sometimes it happens. Again, very smug. Karen's reply was, I guess a broken thumb constitutes, you, I mean, you can fight with a broken thumb, but you've got a broken pinky with stitches in it, and that's backing down from a fight. I've been in enough fights in this league that I know that I don't back down. If that's what he thinks, he can think that, but he's wrong. When told that in the days following the incident, Cairns had said that they were disrespectful to him, McCarthy said, why should we respect him? I don't think we should respect anybody on that team. Cairns added, I just think what they did was disrespectful in general, not necessarily to me. It was at me, but if they did that to anyone else, I'd say it was disrespectful too. It's not, it's just not the way it's, I'm just not that way. And it's what they did and it's over with. And we just have to move on. When asked by the reporter, do you respect him? Because he seems to bet. Do you not res slow down, Joe? When asked by the reporter, do you not respect him because he seems to back down from you when you challenge him? McCarthy replied, no, it's not that. It's just that when I play the game, you can't play with respect or you're going to be out of the league. You got to play hard. You play with pride and you don't do anything to disrespect yourself. 
But I think if you respect your opponents too much, you're going to end up getting beat. When asked what they expect tonight, McCarthy said, we expect a physical game. They always are against the Islanders. It's a pretty good rivalry, and hopefully we can spice it up a little bit more. Cairns was a little more direct when asked the same question. What do I expect tonight? I expect us to win. This stuff, I literally have goosebumps because I, I've watched that montage a million times, and we just don't get this anymore. Could you imagine if this give and take uh, happened today? Um, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine? They Well, first of all, every, Karens and McCarthy were – well, first of all, they'd probably be scratched nowadays. It's like when the Islanders play the Rangers and Reeves and Johnston are scratched. So nowadays, Cairns and McCarthy would probably be scratched. They'd probably put in two Finnish guys. But, um, you know, but could you imagine if that happened today? Could you, I mean, you can't. It can happen today. So, um, you know, going back to that period of time, it, it's a bit refreshing. Um, as far as Cairns refusing to fight McCarthy, um, you know, uh, you can say I'm biased, and that's fine. Um, I saw every game that Eric Cairns played as an Islander. I saw most of the games he played as a Ranger. Uh, Eric Cairns never turned down Sandy McCarthy, except for that one instance with the, when he had the stitches in his hands and broke a finger. Um, Cairns didn't turn down fights, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what McCarthy was smoking at the time. I don't know if he did it to make himself feel better. I have no idea. Uh, Sandy McCarthy was tough enough where he didn't need to act like that or say things that weren't true. But Cairns is also tough enough where Cairns just didn't turn down fights. So it, the whole thing was, was kind of stupid. But we get to the game, and it ended up being uh, being a lot of fun to watch. So game starts. Matt Lindgren scores a goal a little over a minute in. And now for the faceoff, uh, Islanders... Uh, have to put their lineup out first. Rangers get the, uh, they get to put out their lineup second. So Cairns is put out there. Rangers answer with McCarthy. The puck drops. And to quote the great Izzy Mandelbaum, it's go time. They square off and Cairns grabs McCarthy and throws 11 straight rights. A few land, including one that knocks McCarthy's helmet off. Now keep in mind, McCarthy wore the knuckle buster, the, uh, the old Cooper, the greatest helmet there ever was. So to get one of those off, you got to hit pretty hard. McCarthy gets his bearings and throws three rights of his own, one of which lands. Cairns gets his right loose again and throws five rights, alternating between overhand rights and uppercuts. He gets the jersey over McCarthy's head, but McCarthy gets out of that dilemma. They exchange a few rights, and Cairns throws the left and takes McCarthy down to the ice. In the first intermission, Al Troutwig asked Theo Fleury, who was much more subdued now than he was uh, during the first meeting, if he knew that Cairns and McCarthy were going to fight. And Fleury said, I think there was a lot of hype all day long in the papers. You think? And what uh, there was a lot of hype all day long in the papers and whatnot, and it was nice to see that he it's nice to see that he did finally stand up to Sandy, and it was a good fight. And again, where is this narrative coming from that Cairns was not <laughs> that it finally stood up to Sandy? He didn't fight him in the game before. Who is this finally stuff? But again, it's like you know. I guess it's fake news before fake news was a thing, right? Finally stood up to Sandy. He didn't fight him in the last game because he had an injured hand, but okay. In the second intermission, Al Troutwig brought the fight up with Michael Pekka. Pekka said it was great. 
I think he stepped up and showed a lot of courage. It's not easy to deal with the last few months. A lot of people poking fun at him for no reason, really. He came and showed what he's all about tonight, and it was great. The only quote I could find from McCarthy after the game, well, it wasn't as vocal as he was in the previous game. Uh, it was a quote that was in the New York Daily News. And he said, he's a tough guy. I never said he wasn't a tough guy. Well, you know, you said a lot of other things. But obviously, Sandy, after the loss, maybe he wasn't as vocal. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Sandy McCarthy, one of the best to ever do it. And to me, underrated because the the bulk of his best fights were in Calgary. And when he finished his career, he was a shell of his former self. Um, so I think in a way, as good as he was, I think he's kind of underrated. But in this instance, the stuff that he pulled was just Bush League. It was just bullshit. Um, something you should know about that game. Uh, what did Eric Karen say he uh, he thought was going to happen? He, want, he thought they were going to win. And they did win. They won the game 2-1. to one. The following day at the morning skate, Howie Rose asked Peter Laviolette in regards to the fight. The challenge was posed to Eric Cairns early, and he answered it. Um, this is Laviolette talking. Um, <laughs> I get, I get like so pumped up about this. I get like kind of giddy and childish. But let's start over, okay? <laughs> the following day at the morning skate, Howie Rose asked Peter Laviolette, and in regards to the fight, wait, am I? All right. See, I'm, I'm second guessing myself. I was right the first time. The following day at the morning skate, Howie Rose asked Peter Laviolette in regards to the fight. The challenge was posed to Eric Cairns early. He answered it. The guys seemed to get a lift based on their reaction from the bench. How much of what transpired the rest of the night might have been fueled by that fight? To which Peter Laviolette answered. He got dealt with a lot of hits in the media because he couldn't fight a month ago. To his credit, he went out and answered the bell right away. And when he won that fight, I was pumped. And I think the players are pretty pumped up. I think that our game was going along pretty well, but he gave us an edge and picked us up even more. I think he made all of us feel a little bit safe out there. Now, and, and to do this job, whenever you have the coach behind you, and I think Laviolette was a big, a big Eric Karen supporter. Uh, I think that's, I think when, when Laviolette was here, uh, I think that's really when Eric, Eric really thrived. So, uh, and I'm sure after that fight in the first period, that locker room must have erupted when uh, when Karenzi walked back there. The boys loved it, and you get the support from your teammates and your coaches. And, uh, you know, just a fitting exclamation point to really, like Laviolette said, it was a real month of bullshit that Karenzi had to put up with. And, um, you know, he handled his business like a man. Now it's Karenzi and Corson. Karenzi got a couple of lights in. Corson trying to answer. The referees are watching Karenzi pull Corson. And Cairns, this one took a while to get going before Cairns and Corson decided to, okay, let's get it going.
of a countdown like this. So I'm sure that uh, when you saw the graphic for this episode, you kind of knew what the number one fight was going to be. And of course, number one took place on April 28th, 2002, Game 6, Islanders, Toronto playoffs. Of course, we're talking of the beatdown of Shane Corson of the Maple Leafs. Now, this fight was actually set up in Game 5. There was a scrum in front of the Leafs' net. Nothing major. Cairns and Yerke Lume pushed each other a few times. Again, nothing major. Shane Corson didn't like it, and he and Cairns had words. The irony of the whole thing is that the entire scrum started with Shane Corson roughing up and punching Alexa Yashin. I've heard Maple Leaf fans talk about this whole thing and they always fail to forget fail to mention I should say the whole thing with Corson and Yashin because that's what started the whole thing he roughed up Yashin punched Yashin that happened before the Cairns and Lume thing but Corns and Cairns did I just combine their names Corson and Cairns had an extended conversation in the penalty box I have the video. And while they're talking, it's actually interesting to watch. So Shane Corson, I'm I'm a big Shane Corson fan. I think he's tough. I think he's I think he's the epitome of a power forward, more so than what they deem a power forward today. I love Shane Corson, but this was a little weird. Um while they're talking, Corson had the crazy eyes going. Um and maybe to the average person you might think, holy fuck, this guy's off his rocker. I don't think it phased Cairns at all. And a few times during this, I used to be really good at reading people's lips. Now, not so much, but in this one, it was easy. Uh, but you could read Corson's lips. And uh, once he said, come on over, and, and now that's never going to happen. You think Cairns is going to leave the penalty box in the playoffs? He's not going to leave the penalty box in an exhibition game. Now you think he's going to leave the penalty box in the playoffs? He's not going to get at you, and he's going to get suspended. But kept saying, come on over. Um, like I said, no one's leaving the penalty box. Um, the other interesting thing I was able to make out was Corson saying, we'll find out. Um, I'm guessing this was uh, referring to the result of a potential Cairns versus Corson matchup. And to both guys' credit, luckily, we didn't have to wait too long to find out. So now we move on to game six. And again, when you listen to some Leafs fans, um, a lot of revisionist history here. Um, they like to blame Steve Webb. Uh, they like to blame Michael Pekka. Um, and they the series itself had been very violent. Um, they, they seem to leave out 
the whole Darcy Tucker. Oh, Sean Bates is another guy I've heard get blamed for things. Uh, Darcy Tucker took out Michael Pekka with a low hit that tore Pekka's knee ligament, knocked Pekka out of the playoffs. Gary Roberts ran Kenny Yonsef from behind and gave him a concussion. So, you know, you listen, listen, Islanders, no angels in this series. This was a violent series, but it came from both sides. But again, when it comes to Leafs fans, sometimes they're a little delusional. And they always seem to leave out the whole Darcy Tucker thing and the Gary Roberts thing. And they seem to forget the game before when Shane Corson was roughing up Alexa Yashin. A lot of revisionist history up there in Ontario. So I don't know what exactly is in the water. But when asked before game six about the possible retribution, Karen said, we have to win this game, number one. Staying disciplined is a big thing. Can't settle any scores out there right now. That's what the regular season is for. Not right now. We're going to go out there and play hard against them, take the body hard against them, and win the game. You know, it's it's something I think it's very important for you people out there to understand. Whenever guys would interview Cairns, his focus was always on winning the game. That was always a priority. And I don't know if winning is as important to the players nowadays. I don't know. I can't say yes or no. Um, it doesn't seem like it. Now, I don't know if it's the money, if it's the Instagram, if it's the tick, whatever. It seems like their brand now is more important than winning to a lot of the players, not not all of them. But you interview Eric Cairns prior to a game. Every interview was all about winning that night's game. We get to the game. Corson and Cairns first came together near the end of the second period. Not much happened. Ty Domi made sure to get in between them. Cairns and Ty have a bit of a chat. But Corson, who was very vocal in the box, like I said in Game 5, was mysteriously silent when he and Cairns were inches from each other. Again, not taking anything away from Corson. Very tough guy, but he was really chatty. He was a chatty Cathy there in the box. Now they're face-to-face. They're a few inches away from each other. Not much to say. With less than two minutes to go and the Islanders holding a two-goal lead, it was time to drop him. Sean Bates dropped the gloves with Darcy Tucker. Again, the same Darcy Tucker who put Michael Pecka out of the series. And Shane Corson and Eric Cairns come together and follow suit. As that fight starts, Cairns and Corson are jockeying for position. His right loose, Cairns shakes off the elbow pad and they engage. Cairns is basically throwing rights at will. The ones that land are telling shots. Corson is doing his best to fight back, but most of the punches can't reach the bigger Cairns. The, 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 the whole reach thing, like I discussed earlier, is a, a huge advantage for Cairns against most opponents. Cairns drops the boom on Corson, lands one more for good measure as they fall to the ice, and the Coliseum actually, it just erupts. The roof probably arguably the loudest that place has ever been, and that place has seen Stanley Cup victories. Corson gets up first, and as they're being separated, he attempts to kick Cairns. Cairns skates off with his hand raised in victory. The iconic Eric Cairns moment. The reason why it's iconic, Cairns is very... He's a... That's not his way. It's not his way. He's not a showboat. It's not his way. But I, it's another reason why I hope to interview Eric at some point, because I really want to know the emotion of the moment, because he's, I mean, it had to be like the Coliseum back in the day, the Roman Coliseum, and you just vanquished your opponent, and you're going off, and you have these people that are cheering you on, 
Eric Cairns is arguably part of the loudest moment in Coliseum history. And I just want to know what that was like skating off. You just throw up that number one sign. I don't, I, you can't plan something like that. Like even Joe Namath says his iconic number one moment. He didn't plan it. It just happened. Now you have Eric Cairns doing the number one sign to the crowd. These maniacs screaming for him. And as he goes off the ice, he gives a fist bump to Sean Bates. And the ovation is just crazy. Now, Corson was suspended one game for his kick. He denied trying to kick him. The video's right there. But, I mean, you can't you can't talk about the career of Eric Cairns without talking about that Shane Corson fight. And aside from the one-sided domination of the fight, of the moment in the playoffs, um, the, the, the skate off the ice, the number one, it's just iconic. And I, I wonder, I hope that he's not embarrassed by it because Eric is not the type of player who likes to bring attention to himself. So that obviously is going to bring attention to it. And like I said, a hundred times already, it's the iconic Eric Cairns moment. And it's the iconic moment for so many Islander fans uh, from that period of time. Truly, truly um, a memorable moment in Islanders history. Obviously, nothing will compare to the Bob Nystrom uh, Cup winning goal. And you have so many memorable moments with when you have four Stanley Cups. You have all those playoff series, one in a row. Um, so many memorable moments. But this Eric Karen skating off the ice, victorious, beating Shane Corson. Uh, it's right up there. One of the great moments in Islanders history from one of the real good guys that played for the Islanders. The Eric Karen story, as far as I'm concerned, has yet to be told. And I'm going to say it. Eric does not do interviews. He doesn't do podcasts. He's a very private individual. So I've discussed coming on the show with Eric. As you may or may not know, he's the director of player personnel right now for the team. So it's not really, um, uh, you know, you know, you know, the Islanders, everything is Lou, 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 this, Lou, that everybody's got to be concerned about Lou. I'm not saying that's what Eric has said, but I've had players say, Oh, I, I can't do that. I, I got to worry about Lou. Um, I hope that one day Eric does come on this program because I'll say it. Um, I've known Eric since he was a rookie with the Rangers. So our friendship goes back then. Um, and actually, to be honest, not a rookie with the Rangers. I met him at the draft. I worked uh, for Bruce Bennett studios at the time. And I met Eric at the draft. Eric's always been a, a tremendous individual. And, um, and we go way back. And I think, um, and this is for him to decide, I guess. I, I think I know Eric's career uh, just as good as anybody, and I and maybe more, maybe uh, with some of the discussions that him and I have had. So um, without sounding like I'm pumping my own tires, I think if I got the chance to interview Eric, it would be the, the best interview that could possibly be done. Uh, and uh, I just hope and pray that I get the opportunity one day to bring you the entire career of Eric Cairns. So Cairnsy, if you're listening, uh, you know, let's get it done, big man. Come on. You know, I'd, it'd be an honor to have you here. So um, with that, I appreciate 
all you people who listen to this episode, uh, feel free to uh, get back at me on social media and tell me if you agree with my list, if you disagree with my list. Give me your top 10. Maybe you don't have a top 10. Maybe just your top five. And uh, and let's talk about it. And I really appreciate you listening. I don't know when we're going to meet again. Usually I say uh, we'll talk soon. I don't know when we will meet again. But until we meet again, if we meet again, everybody out there, please stay safe. <laughs>